Just a heads up that this podcast contains themes of family violence, which may be triggering. If you're listening in Tasmania where this podcast is made and you need support now, you can contact the free Family Violence Counselling and Support Service on 1800 608 122 or you can call the 24-hour National Support Service on 1800 RESPECT. If you're in an emergency, please contact triple zero. This podcast also contains some legal information which is not intended to be legal advice. You will find a list of legal services that you can contact for individual advice in the show notes. It's truly frightening because they've had a tracker put on their car or um, he's able to monitor her computer or her phone. How come when she takes the children to the park, he manages to turn up? What women don't know is how far that extends. It's like he becomes omnipresent and he's just everywhere. If you needed to hide from someone, could you? And what would you have to give up? What would be the sacrifices you'd have to make to be able to hide? I hope you never need to. And unless you've been through this or you work in it, most of us have never really thought about stalking like this. Hi, it's Penny Terry here, and on this episode of Rule of Thumb, we're going to talk about stalking and technological abuse and find out what we can do to help people and help ourselves, because at the end of this, you'll probably want to throw your phone in the bin. But that might not be enough. Let's get a better understanding of the tangible things that happen, what people do and what they say when there is this type of family violence in a relationship. We're looking at things like monitoring of phones, checking of email accounts, um, accessing MyGov and records and um, Centrelink information. Um, It's sending messages um, repeatedly or repeated phone calls. Um, It's putting GPS on vehicles, so tracking where people are moving, who they're seeing, where they're going, turning up at a cafe or a hairdresser that they know you'll be there at a particular time. Um, So it can look like all sorts of things. I don't want to say that one type of family violence feels scarier than others, but I feel like this is... It must feel like there is no relief and that you're always looking over your shoulder. I think that's really true and I think the effects of this type of family violence last for a really long time after it's stopped. Um, It's not knowing whether someone has been reading the text messages that you've been sending to your friend. Like that feels like a really intimate violation of not having any privacy, of not knowing when you're alone. So stalking is illegal. And here we are at the lawyer's desk with Elise Whitmore and Yvette Seetel from the Women's Legal Service Tasmania. These things are really easy. You don't have to be tech savvy to use them. Um, and I think that's something that we, don't, we, we just don't think to check. How often do people pass off this kind of stalking as, he's just a bit jealous? Is that a thing? 
I, I absolutely think that it is. Um, and I would go back to some of those really fundamental um, building blocks almost of family violence, which is the control. And jealousy is one of those things that people will accuse their partners of when there are elements of coercive control. Um, and it is an extension of that jealousy of wanting to make sure that that person um, is accounted for, their movements are accounted for, their time is accounted for at every moment during the day. What happens when a, a woman calls up their partner on this stuff? Um, what kind of excuses come, come back? What have you heard about that? I just want to keep you safe. I want to make sure that, um, you know I, know, I know where you are so that if you need me, I can be there quickly. Some women will know that they are being tracked. It's part of the control. Um, and she will, quote, consent to that to keep him happy and keep him safe because the repercussions of not allowing him to know where she is, um, it's just not worth it for her. So she will allow those, she will allow herself to be tracked while in a co- coercive controlling relationship. Because it's just easier. It's just easier. Now this stuff, it doesn't just happen. People don't just start stalking one day and women don't just accept it. It's usually much more complicated than that. It's a subtle thing. You don't um, enter a relationship and, oh, it's, you know, family violence and and you see it from the start. It's a subtle thing that, that builds. So you find yourself doing things in order to sort of keep the peace and make every, you know make sure everyone's happy. I know early on I didn't realise that when I wasn't home, when he got home, I thought that he thought I was out spending money or something, that that's put up. I didn't realise he was just plain uncomfortable not knowing where I was. So um, you subtly change your behaviour. And when you have lots and lots of those things where you're subtly changing yourself to keep someone happy, but um, they just keep building, you know, there's more and more things to you've got no no voice. And, um, yeah, so those sorts of things, they take time to, un, you know, unravel in your head and, and hindsight is a, is a wonderful thing. So it's not until you sort of put all those behaviours together and you start to realise that you're not crazy, you're not unreasonable, um, it's not that you're, you know, not trying or not good enough or whatever, it's that someone is actually working um, essentially against you to keep you under their control. Even though we've had to disguise this woman's voice, we can still hear clearly the complexity of being in a relationship where there is family violence. And it's worth pointing out that convictions of family violence can be hard to get, as we've heard in other episodes, and you'll hear more about in this one. And that's why some of the people we've spoken to, we have changed their voices. And talking about family violence can be tricky no matter who you are. It's a big phrase. And people have a lot of different perspectives and experiences. For family violence counsellor and researcher Torna Pittman, who you've got to know pretty well throughout this series, there are always more questions. Stalking, it's calculated, it's premeditated and it's advanced. It's much more than being, say, hit because you've had an argument, which is what a lot of people think family violence is. It's not. This is hostile 
control. So for a woman, it means that her life is no longer safe, but also who is going to really help her to address this? Where does she start and what doesn't she know that he's doing? And But the other thing is why? What is it that makes someone want to control someone to that extent? You know, uh, trying for a woman to try and understand that it's usually beyond her. What what is the point of that? And how come, as a society, we kind of stand by? I wonder if we're all trying to sort out our own answers to those questions. When I chat with men about family violence, the line that comes up often is. I don't understand why some men do this. I just don't get it. So why do some men do this? Well, I understand how their brains are working because we share that uh, commonality, which is being a man. And I've been in the on the cycle of trying to manage being number one and then trying to take control of everything. And then you, it's like soap that's wet. The more you try to grab on to control of uh, others, such as your partner, the harder it is and then you, you try and grab a bit harder. And so I understand how come they do it and I want to make it clear it does not uh, condone what they're doing. What they're doing is against the law. It is a criminal action. So, I, again, I can explain it, but I do not excuse it. This is Brad. We first met Brad back in Episode 1 and then in Episode 2 and 4, And he describes himself as a man who was ashamed of his behaviours. He told us his thinking behind that and how he's made changes. So you can go back and listen to those episodes if you haven't already. Brad now works as a social worker and counsellor and spends time working with men in abusive relationships. And here's some of what he's learned about stalking. Technology, uh, it's just a new form of, um, in the old days, driving past your Still happens now. Driving past your former partner's place to see if she's with someone else. What are you going to do if she is? You're going to go in and burst in. Some men do. So as to scare him off, you scare him off. What's that going to do for her? Well, she's going to come back to you, is she? So the the stalking to try and uh, put her down, so as she's then isolated, therefore she'll come back to you. Well, the strategy doesn't make any sense because you're only going to hate you more. The strategy has to be taking responsibility for the hurt you've caused her, uh, leaving her alone, and reflecting on how I can be a better man, how I can start another relationship and be respectful to that, that, that woman, in this case, man or woman, or if we have children, how I can uh, fill the, the hole that I've created uh, towards their mother by um, taking responsibility. comes back to that term, that, that philosophy. If there's one thing you're going to get from this um, discussion, Penny, it's taking responsibility, 100%. It all comes back to that. But, yeah, the stalking stuff is um, just um, trying to keep control. Can men who use these types of behaviours and do these types of things to control someone else can these men change? Oh, well, I've changed. Absolutely. I've, most of the men I've, uh, I've gone through, the, the, the journey have changed. Um, I've seen their change. As a social worker and counsellor, I often kick off a session with, I'm in the business of change. 
And if I can help facilitate or support you in change, let's do it. I make the invitation to them. It is so much easier, so much lighter taking this responsibility for yourself and not trying to control others all the time and all that um, coercive control stuff. It's, It's hard work. Everyone we've heard from has used different words to describe or explain stalking and technological abuse. Do you know what words you use? I'd have to uh, stay at home. I'd be locked on the property. Car keys would be taken. Half time the phone would be taken out of the wall. So I was virtually a prisoner. Or else um, I'd be allowed, in quotation marks, to go downtown once a week to pay bills and do the shopping. He'd um, know where I was at all times. Um, He'd drop me off downtown, pick me up, uh, check on me all the time. (laughs) Or else he'd enlist his friends, which he told me after I'd left, he'd enlist his friends who were very loyal to follow me downtown when I'd go down there on the um, once a week. They'd follow me and report back to him. Do you think his friends thought they were doing anything wrong? No. No, they didn't. I think he sort of, um, he'd come across as a very different person in social settings, um, as many of you do, they come across as great mates, friendly people, do anything for um, their partners, um, and uh, his friends all thought he was a great guy. He'd be very affectionate to me um, when we're um, in social settings. And they'd often say to me, wow, you're so lucky to have such an affectionate uh, partner. They had no idea. And um, I think in the end, too, he was feeding them stories about how I was um, having affairs or I was, um, I'd told him I was going to leave soon. And so they thought they were doing the right thing by him. I keep an eye on on my um, behaviour. This is Deborah Thompson, and throughout this series we've heard about the many types of abuse that Deb experienced in her relationship over 17-plus years. And these things don't happen in isolation. It's not like there's just one clear-cut type of abuse. It's lots of stuff. And leaving? It doesn't mean it stops. I ended up leaving. Um, I rang my mum and a social service uh, department of um, children's services got involved. So I left with my children, went interstate because uh, the police became involved and they said, encouraged me to move interstate where my family was. So uh, the abuser promptly followed me interstate and stalked me. He'd he'd, uh, know where I was at any given time when court cases that 
it had to appear. And then he'd follow me after that. So they'd find out where we were living and we'd have to move again. Um, he had access to our joint bank account. He removed all of the money. I think there was $6,000 in, in a savings account. So I was virtually pen, penniless with um, three children. Uh, the only time he couldn't find out where I was was when we were living in refuges. What does it feel like when someone who has abused you is watching your every move? Horrific. Um, the abuse that wasn't physical was still psychological. Um, now it was financial, emotional. Um, it was incredibly frightening. He'd um, ring me 20 times a day. Um, he'd find my phone number, even even when I had a silent number. He Somehow he'd call the children's mobile and um, abuse me. All of these things were hard to prove. Um, the stalking, the telephone abuse, um, he'd scratch my car, let down my tyres, put nails in tyres. He um, tried to uh, interfere with the brakes on the car once. Things like that, the police kept saying, unless you actually witness him doing it, we can't help you. We'll um, make a report that concrete evidence I had none. He could do it a lot, virtually, without any legal repercussions. So what does the law have in place to help women who are being stalked or are experiencing technological abuse? Now, this will change depending on where you live. So let's look at the Tasmanian situation with Elise and Yvette. So we don't have a particular definition of technological abuse. We do have a definition of stalking in the Family Violence Act and it refers us to the criminal definition and the list is quite extensive. So we're looking at things like following someone. So I think that's a really normal kind of usual thing that people would think of when you think of being stalked, that someone's following you. But we also go into things like keeping someone under surveillance, loitering outside their home, turning up at their workspace. Um, interfering with property, so leaving notes somewhere um, or going into someone's home and maybe not moving anything but just having a presence there. Um, We've also got, so with the technological stuff, we've got things like sending offensive material, putting things online, so publishing things online, um, using the internet to cause someone to feel fearful, Um, so making those threats that they're going to publish images that they might have of someone. So the definition is really expansive. And how easy or what do you need to be able to get a conviction on this stuff? Well, it's really helpful now with people having more kind of GoPros and recording images or, you know, having um, a camera on their car. So that might be a bit easier to show Uh, that someone is being stalked or a lot of service stations now have, um, you know, CTV footage or cameras. So that can be relied on to prove that somebody's um, following you. 
Um, but again, it, it can be quite um, difficult uh, and often it's easier if the person's kind of caught in the act. But some of the behaviours can be, you know, like um, I heard of one case where someone had broken into what was the family home uh, along with some old Christmas cards and birthday cards and amended them and left them around the house. Um, what do you mean when you say amended them? Um, put other messages in them and that really made the person feel very fearful because they felt violated because their home that they now lived in alone had been broken into uh, and also there was evidence of it but it's very hard to then say to the police when they've used a key to enter uh, and are relying on amended Christmas and birthday cards that have been left around. Well, so What's what's the advice then? I mean, is it to get the locks changed as soon as someone moves out or there's a change in living situation? That would be a great place to start. Um, unfortunately, with technological abuse, there is software that's available to put on people's phones that might require the replacement of a phone, um, the changing of passwords so that someone doesn't have access to email and some of those important accounts like MyGov, Centrelink, those types of things. And there's been other cases where women have sent their mobile phone off with a friend when they've gone to, say, to St Helens for the weekend, whereas they've sent their mobile phone off to Smithton with a friend or to Hobart, um, just um, to confirm that they've been um, tracked and so that the person doesn't know where they are. I mean, that's such an incredible image of just how this stuff happens. What kinds of things um, can we be looking out for? Whether we're, you know, an accountant, we're a hairdresser, we're someone from a community group, we're a mother, we're a friend, we're a male friend. What can we be looking out for that these types of behaviours might be affecting someone we love or we care about and we know? Look, it could be a simple penny as um, someone getting, you know, going out for lunch with your friend and getting 20 um, text messages while you're sitting there and then having a conversation about that um, or asking or noting that they seem a bit upset or that they're a bit distracted, um, is there something going on and having a conversation about that. Well, sitting there with a friend and the perpetrator turns up outside and the your friend hadn't invited them there, hadn't told them where she would be. One thing that perhaps we heard about during COVID-19 was that there may only be one computer in the house, there may only be one phone, um, and that even if you want help, you can't call support services, you can't text anyone because it is being monitored. How common is that sort of abuse? I think that in relation to this form of abuse, Penny, that's quite common. And looking at how people have made contact with our service and, and previous services that I've worked for, it will be a friend's mobile phone. It will be a friend's email address that they will give me to contact them. Um, and so that's just another example of how you can be a bystander and help someone through a situation like this. Elise and Yvette had plenty of other examples of the lengths women have had to go to to get support when they were being stalked, including having to set up systems at their workplace so that police and support services could contact them there. Is your workplace set up for that? Bystander action can need some planning, particularly when you may not even know that a perpetrator is a perpetrator. It's complex, and it's not enough to think that leaving is going to be the right answer. Here's Torna again. 
When people say to women, why don't you just leave? Yeah, because when I leave, I'm going to be tracked and monitored and surveilled and my life still won't be my own and I won't even know from which direction it's going to come from. If I stay, it's the devil I know. If I go, it's the devil I don't know. And who's going to support me? And who's going to tell them to stop? Do you remember one particular story that you can explain for us? I have, I have a, a client in mind who, who did make the amazing step of leaving someone who used to control and track her within the relationship. Like if she went out, she was texted constantly. If she wasn't home within a few minutes of leaving work, then she was definitely having an affair. And he he was like, why would you take seven minutes to get home when it only should take you five, for example? Constantly getting her to justify and explain herself. Um, He had many ways to track and monitor her. But then when she took this amazing step of leaving, that hostility kept going so that he tracked her through social media. He put up photos of her on um, on other places like eBay, Gumtree, wherever he could harass and humiliate um, and and kind of constantly affect her. He, through social media, contacted all her friends so that he was still very present in her life. So she left and, yes, she took him to court because he'd breached his PFVO, which meant that he wasn't supposed to do any of that. He, he got charged with breaching, but he just kept right on doing it because he just found another way, another way of doing it. So who stops them? Who does stop them? Now, I know that it feels like there are some obvious places to start the stopping, and yeah, we could all get really angry about that. But it seems to me that we need to do something differently. It's not just the lawyers who need to ask the right questions, or the judges who are interpreting those laws, or the police who are upholding them. And it's not just the companies who are making these tracking devices, or the accountants who manage the bank accounts, or the parents raising our children. It's all of us, isn't it? But it's not easy calling this stuff out, as we've learned in other episodes. So here's some more things for the list. If we react when we're doing the intervention, if we get reactive and emotional and if we get sort of angry ourselves when we're intervening uh, or if we are acting like we're very distressed, then that, I mean, whereas it's not terrible, it's just not as helpful as being very even-handed and just quiet and to the point and direct and no moralising, no judgement, just like, that's not right, that's not okay, do you need some help with that? And a lot of people inadvertently collude and aid and abet somebody doing this. They don't mean to, but they do it because they don't realise that it's it's family violence and coercive control at, at one of its very worst aspects, that level of hostility. So when a, um, say for example, a man puts up a post about how awful his ex is being and and defames her publicly and other people come in and join in and say, oh, you poor thing, or that's not right, or she shouldn't be doing that. He gets all of this attention. 
And this is where I will use the word perpetrator because they know this about people. They know if they say and do certain things, they will get aided and abetted and they will be able to track her more easily and also defame her more readily across the board. So when people take a stand to that and say, I don't think you should be putting your relationship stuff online, mate, or saying something that you feel comfortable with, like there's always two sides to a story, for example, but not actually saying, oh, you poor thing, oh, that's terrible, because really that it doesn't work. It just keeps it going. In terms of surveillance and monitoring, you know, by putting a tracker on her car, there needs to be widespread checks and balances for who is selling this kind of stuff and what's it being used for. Because at the moment it's deregulated. Anyone can track anyone now if they really want to. They just buy the software. And and I've heard of one story where a woman, um, you know, her, her own car was being monitored and could be started and stopped and windows go up and down by someone else. And that was a someone who'd wanted to be her partner, but she wouldn't have it. If you're listening to this in your car, on your phone, how are you going with that? Or maybe the question should be, could someone else know where you were going in that? One of the misconceptions that lawyers Elise and Yvette talked about was that people need to be tech savvy to use this stuff, when really you need to be tech savvy to find it. As far as I'm aware, some of the software that gets downloaded onto phones is um, really hard to find. Um, But in relation to vehicles, I know that there have been um, cases where mechanics have found tracking devices on people's cars and have then gone to the woman um, afterwards to let them know that they've found this thing um, and discuss with them what steps they might want to take next. For example, even, you know, we can often upload um, find my phone or find my computer as a protective thing in case somebody takes our iPad or our computer or our phone. But for someone that wants to use that feature in a different way, that can be a really easy way to track somebody. And that could be as easy as your phone telling you that your car's parked 30 metres away. If they've loaded that detection onto their phone, then they know where your car is at all times. And that's a feature of a lot of modern cars. Well, and it's a feature that we want too, and this is the thing, isn't it? Until we start to hear some of these stories, we just don't think about what is going on um, in the community around us. What can we do or how can we intervene as a bystander with, with stalking and technological abuse? Well, there is um, a really great website from the e-commissioner which has a a whole heap of fact sheets and checklists that you can go through to check that your devices are safe. And I know that I've done my own and realised that I haven't had very good um, safety protections in place. Uh, And that, you know, it's quite a confronting exercise to do because, as you say, when we're all in good relationships, we um, let it slip. Other people have access to our uh, passwords, um, access to our accounts. And when we're in a healthy relationship, we don't think about it twice. But it's when you're not in a healthy relationship that those things really come come to their fore. That website is esafety.gov.au. You can click on women 
and then domestic and family violence and you'll get plenty of stuff. Plus there is so much other info on there to set yourself up for safety. And I know how frustrating and tedious this kind of stuff can be, so often we just don't do it. But thinking about the possible consequences of that leads us to our next episode and the final episode for this season, which maybe is the stuff that we think we already understand about family violence or that we'd be more comfortable to take some bystander action with, but... I only had two people in the space of the 17 plus years I was abused, question my explanation of bruises, and one was a woman I mentioned in my book who, having been abused herself by her husband, recognised when another woman was being abused. How confident are you that you'd recognise if there was physical abuse in a relationship and would you know how to ask those questions about the bruises? That's on our next episode of Rule of Thumb. For now, if you want to click through to that eSafety website or you want some more information about family violence, about the law and download some fact sheets or get some information that you can use in your workplace or maybe you need some help right now and want a list of support services... We've got plenty of details in our show notes where you can simply click through. We trust these services and we hope that you'll find them useful. My name is Penny Terry and you've been listening to Rule of Thumb. It's a podcast for the Women's Legal Service Tasmania. This podcast is funded by the Tasmanian Government's Department of Communities as part of the COVID-19 Family Violence Response.